If I was to prepare a survey and send to the church and asking, do you believe that it is a biblical command to pray and read the scriptures? I think most of us would say yes, or I hope that most of us would say yes, I do believe this is a biblical command. And then perhaps I would send another question. Do you believe that it is a biblical command to pray for our political leaders, authorities, leaders in the community, and for others? Do you believe that this, to pray for these people um, is a biblical command? I hope that most of us would say yes. And then, in the same survey, anonymous, right? I'm not going to write any names. But assuming that you had answered yes for both of these questions. And then the next, the following up question would be, how often do you read the scriptures and pray? And the following up question would be, how often do you pray for the political leaders of our days? How often do you pray for your neighbor, your friend, your co-worker? How often do you pray for their salvation? How often do you pray for others? I think, I think a question like this would definitely hit us, uh, would hit the nail in the head, as we say. And because the truth is that we all, as much as we believe in these things, and we can affirm biblical things and biblical truths, the reality is that most of us struggle to put these things in practice. So, and I think the text today is challenging us to put our, what we believe and affirm as biblical truth, to actually practice it. To actually put in practice. So this text challenged us to be a people that pray. To be a church that pray. So in our passage today, Paul instructs Timothy to pray and lead the church in praying for all people. Paul urges Timothy to pray for the political leaders of his day, leaders, authorities, and even for the false teachers of chapter 1 that we talked about uh, four weeks ago. He's urging Timothy to pray for those false leaders that were causing great harm to the unity of the church. In summary, Timothy is to pray for everyone indiscriminately, whether believers or unbelievers, good and godly leaders or ungodly and bad leaders. And the main point that I want to share with you this morning is that we ought to pray consistently for the salvation of others and hope expectantly because this pleases the Lord. So let me pray for us and I have a few things that I want to share with you from this text. Heavenly Father, we... First of all, Lord, uh, as I stand before a congregation... To talk about prayer, I do acknowledge my own need to grow in this area. I don't stand here as an expert in this, Lord. 
But as one who understands that this is a biblical command, and we ought to pray, Lord, and nothing can be done apart from prayer. So I pray, Holy Spirit, be with us and convict each and every one of us and help us to be a church and a people that pray. Yes, Lord, we ought to do things, but help us, Lord, to be doers of your word, but not at the expense of our prayer life. Holy Spirit, only you can bring this kind of conviction upon our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask you, teach us to pray. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be a prayer, to be a people that pray. In the name of our Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So a few weeks ago in chapter 1, we saw Paul warning Timothy about the false leaders and in their false doctrine. We saw how Paul was encouraging Timothy to rebuke the false prophets because they were teaching a, a something contrary to the doctrine that he had taught them for a couple of years in Ephesus. The false teachers, they were probably leaders in the church that went astray and were causing divisions and confusion among God's people. And Timothy was sent out to help this, this congregation who was struggling. And Paul is very straightforward to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, I know that you are a young pastor. And I know the task that is before you. But you ought to oppose them. You ought to rebuke them for teaching something contrary to the way of the gospel. Because the gospel prom- promotes unity. Not disunity. Brotherly love, not anger or confusion or dissension or quarreling. In Paul's view, anything and anyone who, um, who teaches something contrary to this doctrine, this true gospel, must be silenced by explaining and preaching the true gospel. And of course, Timothy is not to be mean with people, but he ought to be consistent in his teaching, in practicing what he believes and what he is teaching. And in this passage, Paul is telling Timothy, do not forget to pray. Do not neglect to pray in your ministry. And in Galatians chapter 1, Paul is even more straightforward in his um, and his uh, admonition against the false teachers and false prophets. He says, if someone preaches uh, to you something different than what we proclaim, let him be accursed. Those are, those are, those are, those are strong words. For Paul, there's no other gospel. There's no other truth apart from the resurrected Christ And with this in mind, Paul starts uh, chapter 2 by saying, verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. The word then, as you see in verse 1, 
is better translated as therefore. And it helps us to see the connection between chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, and what Paul said in chapter 1 to what he's about to say in chapter 2. And in verse 2 he says, Prayers aren't to be made to all people, kings, and for those who are in high position. So, verse 2 is a call to pray for all people. And this is my first point that I want to share with you. We ought to pray for all people. Paul is telling Timothy and the church to pray for everyone. Including, like I said, the, the false teachers, the leaders in society. The church is to pray for all of those people. So that we may live a good, quiet, and dignified life. Says Paul. Paul's concern here is not that we, uh, it's not that we Christians should have a comfortable life here and now, but one that is absent of exterior disturbances to our faith and to the church's ministry, that nothing might hinder the proclamation of the gospel, not even the local authorities. So his concern here is that the church may have free. Access to society, quiet and dignified, so that we can proclaim the gospel and share the good news. The fact that we can gather in this building, hand tracks on the streets, share our faith with others here in this country is a proof that we live this, this quiet life. Things might be changing, it will change in the future, but the reality is that we have this freedom. Can go on the streets under constitutional rights and share the gospel. And that, the fact that we have this great blessing in this country, should encourage us to pray for our political leaders so that we may continue to have this freedom. So this, this is what he, Paul is trying to say by quiet and dignified life. And then he encourages Timothy to pray for kings and those who are in high positions. King here is probably a reference to the Roman Emperor Nero, right? who was a cruel and wicked man. And he is well known for being an arbitrary and mad tyrant. According to history, he plotted the, the death of his mother, gave, other, gave orders to uh, kill two of his wives, and randomly kill innocent people. Nero was also a man given to his sexual impulses. There are stories saying that he seduced married, married women and, and young boys and lived a promiscuous life. History also blames Nero for the fire that lasted six days in Rome that consumed a great portion of the city and killed many innocent people. And as scapegoats, Nero blamed the Christians who were persecuted, imprisoned, and killed under his orders. During this time, Nero engaged in a brutal crackdown Christians. And it was during that time that Peter... And Paul, they were killed because of their testimony of the gospel. So Paul is saying that 
You should pray for this type of leaders. Kings and all of those who are in high positions. And as Damon said last Sunday, Ephesus was in the epicenter of idolatry in the in the um, in Asia. Ephesus was the capital for the worship of Diana of the Ephesus. This idolatrous, uh, it was an idolatrous city. So in this, Paul is urging this church to pray who is inserted in this context of wicked leaders in an idolatrous society. And he said, you ought to pray for all people. And then he adds in verse 3, Paul tells Timothy why the church ought to pray for all people. Because it pleases the Lord. Simple like that. I know where you are, Timothy. I know, I know all the difficulties of your ministry. And you ought to pray for all people because it pleases the Lord. In other words, the church is to commit itself to supplications and intercessions because the Lord is pleased when the church prays. When, and the Lord is pleased when we pray for the salvation of souls. This is God's will for His people. That we might be a people that pray for the salvation of others. So that they come to the knowledge of the truth. My mother used to... She told me this story many times and it's a true story. And I called her this past week to make sure that I have the story straight. Uh, and she tells me the story that of her grandmother who prayed for her son for over 30 years to come to salvation. And he was an alcoholic man. He was a quiet man, but under the influence of alcohol, he, he was a very violent man. For over 30 years, she prayed for, for his salvation. And my mother tells me that before her grandmother passed away, she had the opportunity to see his conversion. Not only that, but right before her death, he was a deacon in the church. And my mother told me this story that for years, because her grandmother adopted her after my grandmother passed away, and, and she tells me this story, how many nights, especially on Fridays, when he, if, if he was late to come home, they know they would be drinking, and when, they come, when he comes home, he would be violent. So they would, they would all go into their rooms, close the doors, and he would invite my mom to pray with her. And that was not just one day, or just a few weeks, or months, years. For years, my mom tells the story that she was my, her grandmother's a partner in prayer, in praying for his salvation. Years, decades. One soul. All this effort for one soul. Over 30 years of praying. And God was gracious to her and allowed her to see this conversion. Amen. 
And I'm sharing this with you because this has encouraged us to be diligent. Are we not to be, are we not to, to, to have hope and be diligent in praying for the salvation of others? Regardless where they are. Regardless where they are. Are we not to be diligent in doing this? If salvation is the greatest gift that a person can ever receive, and it is, are we not to be persistent in praying that the Lord may grant to lost souls repentance and faith? Since this pleases the Lord, are we not to be a people that do what pleases and glorifies His name? We talk about so much in, in doing things to the Lord. And we ought to do. But how about we devote ourselves, our time, to pray for lost souls? But if you are like me, a sinner saved by grace through faith, at some moment in your Christian walk, you struggle or are struggling in your, in, in your prayer life, in setting quality time aside to pray. And I'm not talking about pray when you are driving to work. And I'm not diminishing that. I'm not diminishing that. That's pray, of course it is. I'm talking about quality time with the Lord. And if you tell me, well, you do not know my life, I'm busy, I have ten kids. I think no one has ten kids, right? It's a very... <laughs> Parents, I know, busy schedule, work. Some of the, our uh, sisters are working outside and helping their husbands. And yet, if this pleases the Lord, are we not to set time aside to pray for others? Not only for your soul, and for your family. We tend to be sometimes so self-centered, right? But for others. Unless you are the 21st version of George Miller, which I think most of us are not, and even Miller struggled in his first 10 years of his spiritual, and after his conversion and during his devotionals. He talks about in his autobiography about his wandering mind when he comes to read the scriptures and pray. Even if George Miller struggled to pray, I'm sure that we struggle or we are struggling in our prayer lives. Prayer is the one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines or the one we tend to spend the least amount of time And why is that? Why is that? Well, I agree with Donald Whitney in his book, and I, I'm not sure how many of you wrote this book, Praying the Bible. We have some free books, free of, some of this book right in the back, so you can grab some. It is free and it is good. 
sometimes we associate free stuff with, and this is not so good. No, this is a good stuff. It's free and it's good. Uh, I paid for this one, actually. And then later on, they sent a bunch of us for free. So it is good. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to share some things with you, and I'm encouraging you to, to grab one when you're, um, before you leave and, and take home. I hope that we have enough copies now. Um, if, no, if not, we will take care of that. Um, so, and I agree with Donald Whitney in his book. Um, he says that prayer is, he says that the problem is not us, but the method, the way we pray. Whitney says some of us lack deepness in our prayers because we do not use the Bible as a prayer guide for our as, as was intended for us. And according to Whitney, the problem with most of us is that we tend to pray the same old things in the same old ways. And that is extremely boring. Therefore, because it's something extremely boring, we lack the desire to pray. And when we pray, prayer is a burden. The truth is, that every genuine believer wants to pray. If you're a genuine believer, you want to pray. You desire to pray. This is your new nature. However, according to Whitney, unless we change our method, we will continue to struggle and miss the joy of praying. According to him and many others that he quotes in his book, Nothing will change unless we learn to pray the Bible. Whitney's method is quite simple. It has been practiced by godly men for centuries. The idea is to open our Bible in prayer. And as we read, we pray whatever, we pray for the things that comes to mind as we were reading the scriptures. And he says, as we do this, we'll have new things to pray every day. And we will pray as God intends us to pray. Because He knows what we need. He knows the needs of our souls. And as we do this, sins will be revealed in your life. Needs will be revealed in your, li- in your life. Names will come to your mind as we read the Bible prayerfully. If you do this, your prayer life, as says witness, will take a new um, dimension, and I 100% agree with him. Even George Miller said something very similar in his autobiography. He says that in for his struggle in the first 10 years of his, in his devotionals, when he learned to pray the scriptures, he says, my life was different. My devotionals were more profound. I think it's quite simple. And Whitney says, if we learn to pray God's word back to him, we'll have new insights. New, we'll have more substance in our prayers. But the truth is, this kind of prayer just, just happens from out of nowhere. It takes intentionality. 
conviction, faith, and perseverance. We tend to read biographies and see guys like George Miller and think, wow, I want to be like him. I want to be a man that prayer and the heaven comes down. <laughs> see angels and all this stuff. It doesn't just happen. It takes time, intentionality. We need to be persistent. Regardless of of where you are in your faith, I'm sure you can grow in your prayer life. I'm sure you can grow. Prayers like our muscles. Unless we exercise and persevere in doing it, we'll never grow. It will always be painful, right? If you go to the gym once a month, that's, you might have some joy the first day, but in the second day you're so sore, and the third day so you would never go back. Unless you are doing this continually, you're persistent in doing it. And then your muscles will start growing, and the pain will be less, and it'll start being something joyful. There's a phrase that people use about exercise, right? It's like a, no pain, no gain. We could paraphrase and say, no prayer, no gain. Unless we pray and seek the Lord, we shouldn't expect things to happen just because we have good intentions. Just because we are put all my effort in it. In it. No, friends, this, this, this is not the way of the Lord for us. He said we should spend our time for His glory. And that means to pray as well. We are not going to grow spiritually. Regardless if you are a good reader, how many books you pray. And I'm not bashing you. I'm just saying it does not matter how many books you pray. If you pray the Bible three times a year, Unless you are prayerfully reading the scriptures, you cannot expect much growth apart from just being knowledgeable in things. If you want to grow in knowing the Lord, you ought to pray. We ought to spend meaningful, quality time with the Lord. And if you need help in this area of your life, a good point to start is to ask the Lord to give you faith to believe that prayer works. Secondly, open your Bible and pray. Thirdly, learn to pray for others. Learn to pray for others. There's so much joy when we plead Supplicate for others in our lives. When we learn to be less self-centered. Write down the names of the people that you want to pray for. And pray for them. Can you imagine? Just think with me for a moment. Can we imagine if we, each one of us would commit to pray for one soul a year in this community, what would happen? If prayer works, and we've committed ourselves to pray for one soul, 
each one of us, one, in this community for a year. Can you imagine the impact of our gospel witnessing in this community? And just a word of advice. Please, keep things simple. Keep things simple. Do not overcommit yourself to praying for hundreds. <laughs> Pick a few names and be persistent. Pick a few names and be persistent in praying for the souls. Prayer and intercessions for others pleases the Lord, who desires all people to, to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Verse 4. This statement talks about the universal scope of the gospel. This text is not saying that all people will be saved, but that God desires all people to be saved. There's a difference to be made between what God wants and God's will. God's will is a reference to His eternal purposes that will come to pass. But what God desires in this text reveals what He wants for humanity. Salvation. Let me just give an example. God does not want man to sin. He hates sin and their consequences. He desires all people to repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus. However, because not all people will believe in His Son, in His eternal purpose, God chose only the elect to be saved out of the world. And who are they? Those who believed in their Son, in His Son, Jesus Christ. Those who believe and repent of their sins. That's why we should pray indiscriminately for everyone and for the salvation of people as many as we can. That's why we share the gospel with, and when we go out and hand tracks, we hand track as many as we can. We try to have a conversation with people as many as we can. Because we do not know whom the Lord has called to salvation. We know that we are called to pray for everyone. We are called to share the gospel with everyone. We are called to proclaim the gospel to all nations under the earth. To all people groups. To all languages. See this universal scope of the gospel. And just a... Uh, just some things that we see in this text that we should pray for. Pray for all people means to pray for salvation of non-believers, for local and national elected officials and leaders in our community. That we see clearly in this text. And I added two other things that are not in this text that we should pray for because they are uh, involved in proclaiming the gospel to all peoples and trying to reach out to community non-believers. We should pray for other churches and missionaries and for the persecuted church. Even though Paul is not telling this, the last two in this text, but they are involved in this preaching the gospel to all peoples. So we should pray. We should find time to pray for, specific for these things. We just prayed, uh, Brother Sean just prayed for Ministerio Philadelphia, which is a Portuguese uh, ministry in Montclair. So this is, this is wonderful. We're praying for other churches. 
Our, our sister Betty the other day, she was about to go on a mission uh, trip. So we should pray for the missionary in uh, Africa. Um, I don't remember the country, but it's in Africa. So we should pray for missionaries. They're involved in doing this work. They're involved in sharing the gospel. And, once, and then we can pray with confidence for others. With great expectancy. Because we have a mediator who listens to our prayers and intercedes on our behalf. Amen. This is the second point that I want to share with you. This is a much shorter point. Pray confidently and wait expectantly. Pray confidently and hope ex- and wait expectantly. Because Jesus is our God-man mediator. God-man mediator. Look what verse 5 and 6 says. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and the man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There is only one God whom people must worship. There is only one God that can pardon our sins. One God that can save those who cry out to Him in repentance and faith. God does save anyone willingly. Regardless of race, color, origin, your background, your level of education. It does not matter. And He does that willingly, not begrudgingly. Like some of us may pray for others who hurt us or, or, or disagree with us. No, that's, that's not the way of our, God, of our God. God does save through one mediator between Him and humanity. The God-man, Christ Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, Moses was called a mediator. He spoke to God on behalf of the people. And he spoke to the people on behalf of God. However, Jesus is not like Moses. As good and faithful as Moses was, was. He was only a man. And even though he loved the Lord, he did sin against God. Like the rest of the people, Moses had to offer sacrifice for his sins once in a year, the Day of Atonement. Even though he was a mediator between God and the people, he had to offer sacrifices for his sins. Like Moses, Jesus is called a mediator in our passage. However, unlike him, Jesus did not sin against the Father. On the contrary, he offered himself as a sacrifice for those who did sin in the likeness of Moses. Jesus is a greater mediator than Moses. Not only because he did not sin and offer himself as a sacrifice for us, but because he continues to intercede on our behalf next to the Father. And because Jesus experienced the struggles and weaknesses we experience in the flesh, He can sympathize with His people in a deeper level. As a God-sent mediator, 
Jesus revealed the heart of the Father to us in a way, in a unique and personal way like no other did before or after Him. In other words, friends, Jesus is the perfect mediator, the only and true one. And having a Jesus, having Jesus as a mediator and intercessor who stood up for us in our helpless condition, I want to think about this. Are we, not, are we not to stand in the gap and be the bridge that connects people to God? Are we not to stand up for the salvation of others in prayer? Are we not to be the kind of mediators that intercedes before the Lord for others, for their salvation? We know the scriptures talks about all believers being priests and ministers of the new and ambassadors of the new covenant. And we are called to carry on the work of Jesus that he began on earth. Jesus not only talked about prayer, but he was a man of prayer. And this passage is telling us that we want to accomplish much apart from prayer. We can't accomplish this work that the Lord has given us to do to carry on apart from prayer. Better than anybody else, we know what it means and feels to live excluded from the family of God. But now that we have been adopted into His family, Are we not to plead with the Father to save others from their misery and helplessness? Friends, unless we are these people who stand in the gap and cry out for the salvation of people in our family and friends and neighborhood and country and the world, who will do that? Who is going to do that? In verse 7, Paul tells Timothy, For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle, for this work to preach and teach the gospel to all people I was called, says Paul. Probably he's, he's, Paul is making a reference to the false teachers of chapter 1 who was trying to uh, discredit his ministry. And his authority as, a, as an apostle. And then he says, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. For this I was called to preach and teach the gospel to all people. And as a commentator has said, Paul's ministry to the Gentiles clearly demonstrates the universal scope of the gospel. And of course, such a ministry couldn't, such a ministry couldn't be fulfilled apart from prayer. Supplications and continual intercessions. Only, I've been in ministry for only three years. <laughs> three years. Um, and I can truly testify that no minister can make up to 20 years, 30, 40, or a church apart from the ministry of prayer. I can truly, I can truly tell you that you're not going to make if you do not make 
prayer is a priority in your life. We're talking about life and death in your own spiritual growth. You understand how precious and important this is. And sometimes you think that we pastors, we are so annoying when we tell people to come to prayer meetings. And then we text, brothers, I haven't seen you in the prayer meeting for months. What's going on? Then you think that you just want to see the church full of people on Tuesday. Because we are concerned for spiritual progress in, in, your, in your life. It's, it's, it's more like we come once a week to this place to worship the Lord as we are doing today. And we come another day during the week to pray together. And understand our schedules are different But I want, you to, I want you to understand that regardless of where you are in your faith, this is vital. For that reason, we will continue to annoy you. I would just tell you in advance, my time will come and we'll start annoying you guys. Why are you not coming to prayer? Or how are you doing in your prayer life? I'm telling you in advance so that when time comes, you're already prepared for that. And I know that Damon, I think he's, he's already doing this. So I think it's better two than one in this case. Two annoying will be... So we are concerned for spiritual progress. We are concerned for, for vitality in your life as a believer. It is said that behind every great man there is an always an extra, extraordinary woman. Well... I think it's right to say that behind every thriving ministry and church, there's a pastor or pastors in a church that prays, that pray. Friend, friends in church, the truth is that a growing disciple is a praying disciple. A growing disciple is a praying disciple. Church, we can pray confidently for others in the name of Jesus and wait expectantly that He will do great things because prayer pleases the Lord. Have you ever struggled to know what the Lord wants me to do with my life? What pleases the Lord? We have one very clear thing here. Perhaps you do not know your gifts, your, how the Lord has called you to serve in specific ways. And then we don't have the time to talk about this. But if you struggle to know what should I be doing right now in my life, I will tell you this. Pray for the salvation of others. Pray consistently and ask the Lord to give you faith to believe that prayer works. And be persistent in doing it. Church, I would like to conclude in saying that... This passage is a great reminder that the ministry of prayer is the ministry of every disciple. It's not just the ministry of few, few people that come here on Sunday and pray. It's your ministry. That's why you should not be surprised when the pastor asks you to come here in prayer. <laughs> or just be prepared for someday. <laughs> this is our ministry. 
So this morning we were reminded that one of the ways that we can please the Lord is by praying for our elected officials, politicians, friends, neighbors, family members, beloved ones, all people, indiscriminately. We pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life so that the gospel may continue to be proclaimed, but we pray for their salvation. We pray for our progress in faith. We pray for our progress as a church. And prayer means to persevere. And those who persevere will reap the fruits of eternal glory and joy. There is a reward. Do not lose heart in your prayers. Do not neglect this ministry. Be encouraged by the fact that even though we might not see the results of our intercessions here on earth, I'm confident that on that great day when the Lord comes, we might be surprised to see how many of our prayers were answered. Church, let us be a church that do what pleases the Lord. Let us be a people that pray.